no email. Oh, wait. Email. Okay. We all okay, accounted fine. for? What? I said, are we all accounted for? No, nope. he's still shaking off, shaking off. <laughs> Sorry. Little Taylor Swift joke there. Very little. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Bada sing, bada boom. <laughs> Uh, oh wait, that wasn't directed to me, was it? <laughs> it's been exhausting just, with no internet. What's that? It's been exhausting with no internet because, like, I'm the grantor. Like, it's my fault, you know. Of course, I, it's I, your I was, fault. I was like Jim Belushi in uh, in the Blues, but it's not my fault. That's John Belushi. It's locust. Jim Belushi, John Belushi, one of the Belushi boys. Well, there's a significant difference in talent level. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Ah. Uh, Oh, I got a dog at the door. <coughs> Come in. Come in. That's one dog. There's the other. Come on. Where are you? It's the count. One. One dog. Ah, 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 ah. Two. Two dogs. Come on, dog number two. Come on in. <laughs> ah, number two dog. Number two dog son. All right, I got two dogs now. I want a new dog. One that'll fetch a stick. One that won't (laughs) piss in the floor and make my wife real sick. I want a new mutt. One that won't run away. One that won't tear up the furniture and leave something on the bidet. (laughs) That's all I got. Hey, I I, I was grasping for words. I was trying to find things that rhymed. There were locusts. Back to the bin. Uh, Am I bringing us in or is somebody else doing it? Do you want me to go ahead and bring it in? Bring her in. This is the Civil War one, right? Yep. All right. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is our shameless, obligatory, coattails riding Captain America Civil War episode. My name is Scott Gardner and I am joined as always by my very good friends, Paul Spataro. Hello. And Dr. Bill Robinson. I don't need your Civil War. Hi, hi, (laughs) hi, hi, hi. God, you know, it occurs to me, I cannot remember the last time I brought an episode of anything in. Um, I hope I was not too rusty there. <laughs> oh, no, no. No one would ever notice. So, oil kern. Oil kern. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. No problem. Um, so, Civil War. Uh, what, are we, what are we thinking about this one, gentlemen? Here's, I'll tell you exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they're going to get into like this real knockdown, drag-out fight. And just before Iron Man delivers the killing blow, Cap is going to mention that his mother's name was Maria. <laughs> and the fight's going to stop. And they're going what to bust was... it at the sound of music. How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> <laughs> what was Cap's mother's name? Mrs. Cap. Mrs. Mrs. Cap. Rogers. Mrs. Rogers. And see, I really I don't know. I I'm should, not that's sure. That's those she... things I should know, and I do not know. She has, I mean, they have had flashbacks where you've met her and everything, so I'm sure they did give her a name, but I don't know what it was. Oh, really? 
Oh, okay. I wondered about that because the only off the top of my head, the only thing I could remember about Cap's mom was what we covered there, where um, who was it? Zemo, I think, tore up his mother's picture. And that was uh, about yes, the- but yeah. they, they also had uh, in that recent run with uh, with the uh, you know with John Romita Jr. where they had uh, Planet Z. I didn't read any of that. And and it started out with flashbacks with his mom and everything. Oh, okay. Sarah Sarah Rogers. Sarah, that's right. Yeah, I, I had heard that. So he says so Cap's going to say his mother's name is Sarah, and uh, and Tony's going to say I don't give a shit, and he's going to kill him. So I don't know any Sarahs. Bam, <laughs> that'll be it. I uh, well, what do you, what about you, Bill, for Civil War? Uh hmm. I'm trying not to get too excited, but I am getting I'm a little bit more jazzed than obviously than I was for Batman versus Zoo Superman since I didn't even go see Batman versus Superman. <laughs> He's doing jazz hands right now. Yeah. So uh yeah, Ben's Ben's ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm curious. I mean, this is gonna be a long one too, isn't it? I think this is gonna be the longest Marvel movie to date. Oh really? Oh I yeah, I had I, heard. I wanna that, say it's I'm, I'm okay with it, that. Yeah, I'm just um, even though this is uh, the Civil War, the coattail riding Civil War episode. Did you guys see the uh, Doctor Strange trailer? Yeah, I was, yes. uh, I was wanting to talk about that. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of more excited for that than I am for Civil. War. I don't I don't know. I'm uh, that's that that really looked good. That My really favorite thing good. is that you get to see the astral image. Oh yeah, when he punched him out of his body, uh, when um, Tilda Swanson punched him out of his body. Oh, that was yeah. It's like whoa. Yeah. No, it just it, it looks totally different than anything we've seen from Marvel so far. But it looks so much like Strange stepped right out of the comic. Yep. So I, I am very excited for that. That we get in November. So so I'll, I'll sit back and I'll, I'll watch Civil War first. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm ready to see. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people in this one. And, and um, what's got me really wondering is that that little hand um, armor thing that that Tony's got that catches a bullet or whatever that uh, Bucky shoots at him. Mm-hmm. That you know, I don't know. It's, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Take my money. <laughs> is that coming out the same weekend as Free Comic Book Day? Yes. Mm. Which is pretty uh, much standard procedure now with Marvel. Friday yeah, night is a new have... movie, and then Saturday's Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely have to maybe try to see it fr- Friday night, uh, or not go to Free Comic Book Day, one or the other. Because uh, I, I guarantee if I go free comic book day, it'll be blah, 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 and it'll be spoiled. <laughs> I am Which, psyched. I am so psyched for this movie. Um, you know, normally I, I try to keep my excitement in check, you know, a- anticipating, you know, some level of disappointment or, or other, you know, <laughs> with so many things lately. But uh, Oh, and you know, Marvel- wait, wait. To all you people that say we're DC haters, nah, screw you. I like DC on TV, as I've said before. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> See, this this isn't a spoiler because I have no basis for this other than just, you know, it's a thought I'm having. But I, I suspect they may go a similar route to Superman v. Batman, and not necessarily in a negative way, but to actually have a definitive winner to the battle as opposed to have the we fight to a standstill and we stop fighting. I get the feeling they may try to go the route of the actual Civil War, where the Civil War comic, where basically, you know, Cap stands down and then gets shot. I think But he got better. Yeah. 
<laughs> now you know he'd have to get better because he is in the Infinity War movies. Yeah, but well, that could be, could be resurrected you know, by Thanos. Yep, it could be. Yeah, or, or resurrected by Tony. Maybe he gets the glove and brings him back if he gets killed in this movie. But I, but I suspect that they may go with a definitive winner to the battle. Which the problem is, I'm on Team Cap, and I don't want Tony to win. No, I don't either. And I was on Team Superman, and I didn't want Batman to win. Well, you know, watch, uh, rereading these books tonight, reading my book and then Scott's book, which they dovetail into each other, kind of, it's almost like, and I guess we'll, we can talk about this more when we get to the books, it's how in reading the my, my book, it's like Tony, at this point in the Marvel Universe, if Civil War happened then... Tony would be the Cap side, and Cap would be the Tony side compared yeah, to Cap is more on the government side in this. Yes, it's it, the, the roles back in 1988 are reversed. What, what what I the thing that bothered me about Civil War is they tried to say we're going to present this and we're going to give it where there's two clearly definable sides, each of which has a very strong argument in their favor, and there isn't going to be a clear oh this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. And there is no question that, that Cap was the good guy and Tony was the bad guy, you know. And and that bothered me a little bit because they didn't present it in in an even handed way like they said. Well, they, they tried to muddy it up. They tried to put they tried to put the Punisher on Cap's side, and there was a lot of people. Yeah, and, and well, Cap Cap denounced him. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that <laughs> he, he, everything Cap did was correct except for the fact that he didn't back the government. Mm-hmm. And everything Iron Man did was douche like. He's the one who. Uh, you know, who, who got the villains to help. He's he's the one who was imposing on people's, you know, freedom and rights and everything. I mean, you, you see it, if, assuming we can do all three books today, you, you know, you see some of it in, in the book that I chose. Mm-hmm. So well, I guess we'll get to that a little bit. But that was the thing that bothered me is they didn't present it fairly and even-handedly. They presented no. it where Cap was the good guy, Iron Man was the bad guy. And in, in a lot of ways, the fact that they've mended those bridges doesn't speak truly or doesn't seem realistic because there should have been some wounds that would not heal and 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 right. friendships that were forever severed but you know you can't do Over that macho it's grande just, it's been 10 years ago so we're gonna just say everybody's good friends again right you just let the macho grande joke go right by i'll never get over macho Grande. some wounds run pretty deep thank you chewbacca well, do we want to read that uh, one email we oh, talked yes. about? Yes, I'm sorry, yes. You want to read it, Paul? Or, uh... Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. So this is an email we received from, where's the name on it? Trevor Williams, and it is titled, Thanks for the Save. Back to the Bins crew. This is kind of a tough email for me to write, but I finally decided to get it out. Hmm, that sounded needlessly ominous. It's all good for you, and all good. all is good for me now. I'll try to keep this brief, something I rarely excel at. About a year ago, I went through the first real depression of my life, and it was a doozy. I've lived my life perpetually happy. A glass is completely full sort of guy. Can't really explain why, at least not without losing a stranger's attention span, but I got down to to the thinking suicide stage. Counseling and talking things out with friends and family helped me power through it and get back to my normal self. But there was another thing... That was probably the key cog that helped me pull myself out. Podcasts like yours. Yes, that might sound silly, but as a lifelong comic fanatic, I'm almost 50 now, 
Podcasts were something I discovered as I was in my funk and hearing happy people passionately talking about something I'm passionate about was a shining light in my mire of darkness. Hearing you guys and gals talk about our mutual passion and opening up about your lives as well just spoke to me in ways I didn't expect. Again, I'm all better now, but just wanted to personally thank you and a few other podcasters for unknowingly being instrumental in saving me. Sounds too dramatic, I'm sure, but it's true. Thanks again. Look forward to years of listening to you and maybe even sharing some of my thoughts in a blog or something someday. Trevor Williams. And just to be fair, I'm kind of blown away by that. Right, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I do this and I, I always say, you know, we do it because we enjoy it. Uh, and then the secondary aspect of it is we hope other people will enjoy it. But to think that, that you know, and obviously he said there's other podcasts. It's not like we single-handedly somehow did this. But that we even contributed anything to taking somebody who was going through depression and, and helping him to get well again is just, you know, I'm overwhelmed by it. I, I don't even have the words to really describe how, how wonderful that makes me feel. I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through what you went through, but I'm glad we could help you to feel better. Absolutely. Yes, I, 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 I was very touched when I, when I read read the email i was uh i almost thought it was spam for a second because i'm like <laughs> thanks for the save oh what's this gonna be and i hope oh okay sometimes when i think it's spam i'm afraid to open it because i'm afraid it's gonna be like a virus or something yeah right. but, yeah. but I, I was very 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 surprised and, and touched when i read this and uh you know trevor please you know reach out to us and you know i I hope all is well and all stays well. And as long as it does, reach out to us and share some thoughts about the topics that we cover. And, and you know, we're happy to uh, to make you a part of the Back to the Bins family. Yeah, stay here, here. in touch so we, we know everything's still good, so we know everything's okay. Because, yeah, I'm, you know, depression's nothing to, you know, to scoff at or, or to, you know, it, it, it's a real it's a real thing. And it can be, you know, everything from debilitating to you know as he said you know having suicidal thoughts and all that again you know nothing to scoff at so yeah <laughs> but just the thought that you know in in any way at all that we may have uh you know helped someone through that is uh you know that's yeah that's a great feeling you know that's that's beyond you know well, that goes so far beyond anything that you know I, I ever envisioned for you know any of the the silly shows that we do. You know, so that that's amazing. Yeah, it's like we we've accomplished our goal and more. Yeah, it, with with that because it's that's beyond our goals. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a goal we didn't even have. But well, it's it's a yeah, goal it I quite honestly didn't fulfilled. think we'd be capable. We would. I would have never thought we'd be capable of reaching. So I wouldn't have had it on my goals just because I wouldn't think it would be something we could do. And to find out that we did without even knowing it, that's just, you know, it blows me away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sure, in all honesty, I'm not sure I ever even had any goals, you know, beyond, you know, let's let's hang out with friends and, you know, hopefully, you know, make some people laugh with, you know, goofy little things we say or whatever, and uh, and maybe educate some people about, you know, some funny books, and that that's been about it, really. No, 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 no. you left off. Rule the world. <laughs> that's, honestly, that is my secondary goal. I think the biggest reason I even got into podcasting in the first place was to just amuse myself, you know. So I mean, that again, you know, that thought that you know any of this could have actually been 
in any way actually beneficial to someone's life is just you know it's that so far beyond you know it's, it's it's hard to it's hard to wrap my mind around that concept at the moment you know yeah but uh but just amazing i mean it's a, it's a, that's a hell of a good feeling cuz yeah i mean i think all of us go through something like that you know to one degree or another in our lives and uh it, it can be it can be really tough you know and so I, I'm I'm glad I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I'm beyond I I'm, I'm at a loss for words to be honest with you it's it's hard to put my my thoughts you know into into words for this yeah you guys were aware of this this is the first time hearing about it I hadn't I hadn't seen the email so I'm just like wow you know that's you yeah know, what I mean say? that's kind of the way I way the way the way you're you're describing when I first read it oh, wow yeah, yeah I only hope yeah. that uh, you know. You continue on that positive road and, and never have to experience anything like that again. And, uh, you know, if we give you any pleasure that helps you to keep you away from that, all the better. Absolutely. Thank you for writing in. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, I'm not, not, not going to bore anybody with them now. I may bore them with them eventually. But apparently we have some new iTunes reviews. Ah. So, you know, nice. anybody listening who hasn't given us an iTunes review, we love iTunes reviews. We not do. as much as we love free stuff. But close. Anyway. Give us an iTunes review and win a car. There you go. Give us an iTunes review and then send us free stuff. <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> well, I was going to say maybe give us an iTunes review and we'll raffle off my duplicate copy of Apollo Smile Number 1. But then that might drive people away. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of free stuff, our own little Scotty Gardner got a little free stuff this week on his birthday. I did. I did. Well, I uh, I talked about the um, comic that I got from Chris Franklin on the last show because that was the book I actually covered for that show. But uh, I received uh, a very nice gift in the mail for my birthday from our good friend and listener, Russell Bragg, who uh, has heard me. Uh, I'm sure I've mentioned this many times on, on different shows. We actually covered uh, the story on an episode, but I have been chasing a copy of Batman Family Number One for the longest damn time, ever since I found out that the Robin and Batgirl story uh, in that book was illustrated by Mike Grell. Because I just I love Mike Grell for one thing, but I've always been really taken with his take on Robin. Now this is the Dick Grayson like Teen Wonder version of Robin. And I, I just love that, but I haven't ever been able to actually get the book. When we covered it on the show, I was using a digital copy. I, I didn't actually have one. Um, Russell uh, recently won one as part of a lot on, on eBay, and so he sent me the, the book, and I was just so touched by that. He sent me a very amusing uh, note about it, which I'm not sure. I don't have his permission to read it on the show, so I won't. But it, it was just it was really funny. It was It basically came down to... You know, I know you're really cheap and you know, you're probably concerned about people spending a lot of money on things that they send you. So I want to assure you I didn't spend a lot of money on this. And I just thought it was funny. Just the whole the whole way he phrased it was just really funny. So but I was I was so happy about that because I man, I, I am cheap. And that particular one, I really wanted it, but I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. So my personal cap was about five bucks. And you would think that, you know, for for a book. Like that, that I, I don't, you know, I mean, I never hear anybody saying, you know what I really want? I want Batman family number one. I mean, I just, I could not understand why in the hell can't I score this book for five bucks or less? I could just never do it. And uh, and he did. And <laughs> he said it to me. So I was just so happy with that. So thank you very much, Russell. I really do appreciate that. 
that was cool. Yeah, that 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 is a cool gift, and you know, you, to to get something that specific, I always am impressed with gifts that show that little bit of extra thought. You know, that somebody didn't just say, "Oh yeah, I'm right. gonna give you this." They actually went out and, and and purposely said, "This is something I think you're gonna love," and and that makes the gift have all the more meaning. So for Russell to do that for you, that's you know, it shows shows what a what a what a thoughtful man he is. Scott, you and, may and think uh-huh. you you may think you're cheap, and uh, we but, all may think he's cheap. But you are very generous with your time, and you're putting up with me uh, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got nothing bad to say about you. Oh, I have plenty. Oh. I got a list. Do you want me to start reading? <laughs> I was just going to say that's all right because there's enough people out there taking up your slack, Bill. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, listeners, if you if you have not heard the episode that we did where I covered that story from uh, from Batman Family Number One, you gotta hunt it up because it's a who that story. The art is the thing. The art's absolutely gorgeous. Which of course, you know, this is an audio medium, but we glow. You know, we glow. We have all kinds of nice things to say about the art. But that story was flat ridiculous. It was so much fun because you had this really goofy story with beautiful art, and it was. Um, I seem to remember we had a, we had a guest Benedict on that. Arnold comes back from hell to battle Robin and Batgirl in Washington D.C. And I, I'm not. Uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to give you. I mean, if that's not enough to whet your appetite, I don't know what is. So, did we have a guest for that one? I'm I think we did. I'm I'm trying to to jump back to it now to see. I can't. I can't remember. But yeah, that that was a, that was so much fun. I don't. I have no idea what the other books that were that we covered, but that was a blast. Plus, there's other good stuff in that book too. There's, uh, I think, everything else that's in there is uh, is a reprint. But there's also um, a Neil Adams uh, Batman Man Bat story, which I'm pretty sure is reprinted from some other source. But you know, just the fact that it's in there, you know, that that's added zing right there. What's the name of the Man Bat? It's Langstrom, but what's his Langstrom Kirk. Kirk Kirk Langstrom? I couldn't remember. I was for some, there was, you know, things that I'm driving around for work and I'm I'm going Batman. I'm Man bat, Langstrom, Langstrom. But what was his first name? Oh my God. Almost got in an accident. I gotta pay attention. I used to have a, a record. It was I think it was an LP, if I'm not mistaken. And the two things I remember from the LP was Kirk Langstrom and I remember the part where um, these people are doing really bad foreign accents. I wanna say Irish, but I could be wrong. <laughs> and Batman goes to a pub and throws 10 darts all at the same time and gets 10 bullseyes. And that's the only thing I can remember. Does anybody else remember this? If you do, write in. I'm, I'm really curious mm. what the hell story that was. But the woman goes, 10 bullseyes in one shot or something. And it's like the worst, cheesiest <laughs> accent you've ever... I mean, it's it's probably just as bad as what I just did. It was horrible. But it's so funny. Ranks right up there with your Lieutenant Uhura reading from right. last summer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we covered... Well, the- we covered that book in Back to the Bins number 190, and it was you, Scott, myself, and J. David Weeder. J. David Weeder, mm-hmm. that's right. What did he bring? A Daredevil book? Uh, he, I don't think he brought a book because we covered Batman uh, Family and we covered Spider-Man number one by McFarlane. I think he may have had a book, but we may have gone so He long. had a Shazam. He had a, uh, I think it was a power of Shazam, if I'm not mistaken. And we Sounds ran like an energy time. drink. I had yeah. a Shazam. <laughs> Boom. I could have had a Shazam and somebody smacks me in the forehead. <laughs> Hits you with a lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah, I think he came back another night with his Shazam book. Yes, I think you're right. Because we went long, like as, as we are known to occasionally do. 
<laughs> as we were doing at the moment. Yes. So why don't we cover a book? <laughs> I think Bill has the first book, if we're going chronologically, which we should. Uh, yeah, especially for you two, we want to go chronologically. <laughs> yeah. And my book, to jump right in, is Iron Man Volume 1, number 228. And this takes place back during uh, the um, the first Stark Wars, or Armor Wars number one, however you want to frame it. And this had a cover date of March 1988, on sale date of November 24th, 1987. All this comes from Mike's Amazing World, DC Comics. And a cover price, 75 cents. Ooh, so expensive. And on the cover we have, um, it looks like Iron Man and it's the Captain, not Captain America, although it is Steve Rogers. Um, and Iron Man is in the silver silver centurion armor, and Cap is the captain in the the black outfit, and he's slinging his, his um, new, a not his old shield, but a newer looking shield. And basically, it's like in a warehouse shot, and it says, "Iron Man versus the Captain, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, friends no more." And the cover was done. Uh, the pencils were done by. Mark D. Bright, and I. At first, I thought it was Bob Layton, but he was the inker on, on the cover, which is, you know, it's kind of a giveaway if you've seen his art to be able to pick them up, uh, pick him up pretty good. And the writer is David Michelini. Penciler is Mark D. Bright on the interior as well, and the plotter and inker is Bob Layton on the interiors as well. Letterer is Janice Chang, and colorist is Bob Sharon. And the synopsis, I. I've had a little bit of issues this week with the internet and frustrations, so I'm taking my synopsis. So so fear not, true believers. I didn't come up with my own synopsis. I'm reading one from my Marvel's official index of Iron Man, and the world just breathed a sigh of relief. <clears throat> the captain tests out his new shield and thanks Stark for making it. Stark meets with Rudy, and they prepare to attack. Sorry, the print is very, very tiny here. <laughs> the vault, but are intercepted in route by said captain at a truck stop. Having figured out the guardsmen are Tony's targets, the captain notes the vault is vital for national security and asks Tony, as a friend, to back down. Returning home, Stark comes up with a new plan posing as Electro. Rudy is captured by vault guardsmen in Denver and is taken to the vault where he easily manages, <clears throat> where he easily escapes a cell designed for Electro's unique biochemistry. And then he goes and lets Iron Man in. They gas the compound, rendering most inside unconscious. Then proceed to fuse all the guardsmen's armor, <clears throat> all the guardsmen arm, yeah, guardsmen's armor, with negator packs. Iron Man gradually eliminates the remaining active guardsmen while Rudy des destroys their recharge generator. But Iron Man is attacked by the Captain as he corners the final guardsmen. When his internal air supply runs out, the last guardsman passes out and the captain stops to remove the man's helmet before he suffocates. Taking advantage of this, Iron Man paralyzes the captain and destroys the last of the armors. Later, it's discovered the destroyed generator knocked the power out in the vault and Mr. Hyde and Tit Titania have escaped. That's a pretty bland um, synopsis, but as we go through yeah, it, I think I, I think we're going to expand on it because there's a little more in here than just that. That was that was a very bland one. So is that from your Iron Man book? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not one of the better ones. I mean, this is the same book that I've taken some of the Avengers ones from too for the Korvac saga. But um, but yeah, I mean, the opening page is is uh, that's like that's Cap doing some really 
crazy acrobatics there because he throws his shield against a wall because he's he had went to start to have him make a new shield because obviously when he gave up being captain he gave up the shield as well and i had forgot this this was 1980s tony stark with the perm Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh man that's so dated it's he he almost looks like he's got you know he's uh billy ray cyrus almost (laughs) tony stark cyrus well it's jerry curl tony yeah yeah i i I did hate that look for him i don't know i mean i don't think it was billy ray cyrus because he was more the mullet look but uh yeah i don't know who they're trying to make him look like there i but it's a bad look one of the jacksons (laughs) tito janet (laughs) (laughs) but that pose that first opening shot of cap that just looks painful in so many ways that looks awesome, though. I, I think. It oh looks- yeah, it's awesome. But, but like, what did he? Did he push himself off the wall? Where? Where is he? It's. It, it looks like he's doing a handstand, but his his legs are like he's almost in a shape of a U or or something, and he's c- coming back. And the next panel shows where he completely flips over in midair and stops and catches his shield mm-hmm. right in front of him. And he's like, "Oh, it's a millimeter off, but I should get used to that." You know, after all, I only had forty years. You know, with the other one, which technically I guess he really didn't have 40 years. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, because he didn't actually use it, Cap. But anyway, we'll, we'll you know, hey, it's, you know, the Alzheimer's, you know, so. You know, 20 of them uh, I was sleeping, but, you know. <laughs> but but sleeping with my shield on my back. Sleeping with my shield. I knew how heavy it was. I guess um, it's a prick in my neck now. <laughs> And, you know, he's real inconspicuous when he goes to leave Tony with the captain uniform underneath the trench coat with the big red boots. I'm sure nobody will ever spot him. Well, that, oh, that's what he showed up in because I forgot. We, he, he, they show the flashback where Cap comes in and asks him, hey, can you make me a shield? And then right. he makes the shield. Then they split up and we see Tony driving his electric cart. And all I could think of was a solar powered armor from <laughs> that we made fun of. <laughs> so you got Tony's. That is one goofy look. That that I'd rather drive a smart car than drive that thing. That is and it, he. Uh, but 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 Scott, what are they building in that picture though with the um, with the car? I was hoping you were going to ask because I can't tell you how many hours I spent trying to find this shot oh really speaking to david michelini because uh we you know way back on uh, two true freaks chris honey uh chris honeywell and i had the opportunity to to talk to david michelini and one of the questions and i'm not sure if it's in the show i don't think it actually wound up in the show i think it was just a side conversation but i can't remember but i had asked him at one point about Something to the effect of asking him about Walt Disney, because I read this run of Iron Man. Um, this must have been sometime probably in the early 90s, because I bought a collection. Um, this, was, this was when I was uh, still in the service, and uh, this is when I was in upstate New York, and I bought a collection. Some, some kid had gone off to college, and his mom sold all of his comics, and I bought them for a song. And there was this whole run of Iron Man in there from right around the beginning of the uh, J.R. Jr. Uh, Bob Layton run right up to, you know, right through this, right up through the armor that he gets uh, beyond this point and everything. 
and I want to say right up to about the point of like War Machine coming in, I think. So, I mean, it was a great big, huge stretch. And at that point, I had little, if any, Iron Man in my collection and was never really big on Iron Man prior to that. But now suddenly here I was, I had this massive, you know, run of what is that, like 10 years or better. Mm -hmm. And for some reason... Instead of just turning it around and selling it off, which is what I usually would do when I bought collections, you know, I'd take the few issues out that I needed myself or that I wanted for myself, and then I'd resell everything else to at least try to make my money back, possibly turn a profit, but I was always happy if I could just make my money back, you know, and break even. But for some reason, I decided to hold on to those Iron Mans to at least read them before I got rid of them and got hooked. And it was really this particular era of, of Iron Man that I that I really became enamored with. So, yeah, while this Tony does look kind of silly and very, very dated today, this is still kind of my Tony Stark, you know, perm and everything. This is kind of how I see Tony whenever I think back on Iron Man, because this is kind of the era where I discovered Iron Man. Anyway... Even back then, and even with my very limited knowledge of Walt Disney and, and, and Walt Disney World and Epcot and all of that, um, and really just having you know just the barest uh, you know idea of that whole history and everything, and you know this was well before my Disney obsession and all that. Even then, reading this era of Iron Man when Tony was kind of like rebuilding his company. And he became interested in kind of his legacy and, and trying to contribute more to the world than just, you know, gadgets and Iron Man and everything. He built that space station and he was getting into, you know, this this new complex he was building because it kind of started. Remember, he lost his fortune for a time and then he built a new company that was out in like Silicon Valley. Yeah, Stark that, Enterprises. Yeah, the new Stark Enterprises. And when right. that first started, one of the the buildings that they operated out of was a, a geodesic dome. And then that kind of evolved and morphed into what's going on here. So in the panel you're referring to, it says, and soon as the electric cart, and this is the electric cart that Tony's driving, says is uh, steered past the early stages of a new monorail system. And it shows them putting in the pylons and setting the track on this monorail. So... I really believed in my heart of hearts that somehow that Michelini was kind of doing a Walt Disney vibe here with Tony Stark, at least to a certain degree. But then with actually getting to talk to him, he said, no, it was not a conscious thing. He never really thought about it. He told me he'd never been to a Disney park, really didn't know a lot about Disney. So this was just at least according to, to him, and I, I mean, I have to take the man at his word, it was just kind of coincidence and, and kind of dumb luck happenstance. But there sure are a lot of parallels. And that's why I thought it was so cool, you know, many, many, many years later when they release the movie Iron Man 2, that right there with Howard Stark, you have that very direct homage to, again, you know, Walt Disney. and... Yeah. And Disney and, and, you know, the world of the future and Epcot and all that. I just thought I, that tickled me so much. I thought that was so cool. But again, according to Michelini, this is all just coincidence. But I just I I do think it's cool and, it, and it's worth pointing out. But after talking to him, I went back and poured through these issues trying to find the 
original images as I remembered them that put me in that mindset. And this was definitely one with the monorail beam. Cause I mean, come on, that looks mm -hmm. almost like a, a, you know, a Disney parks monorail beam, you know? I mean, not that monorail beams are, are going to vary all that much anyway, because monorails are pretty universal, but still, I mean, that, that could easily be, you know, Epcot's monorail beam right there. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's kind of what put me in that mindset. But anyway, I thought that was really cool. Well, plus all all through this era, he's coming up with alternate energy stuff and right, yeah. You know, yeah, he, he was trying to be cu cutting edge, like like you're saying, trying to. Well, and the whole thing with the whole the world, yeah. Star Wars is what he's doing right now. Is he's going around and he's he's finding. I think it was Spymaster that had stole some of his design plans and stole right. and, and sold them to Justin Hammer, and then Justin Hammer outfitted a bunch of other villains. So this is part four. Um, of uh, the Stark Wars, and it's, it's the title is "Who Guards the Guardsmen," and yep. now his plan basically is to go after the Guardsmen. That that um, who was it again that did the oh trying to remember trying to oh Stain Stain had sold yeah, the okay, Guardsmen design yeah. to the government, and so now, uh, but of course at this point Stain is gone. Spoilers: Iron Man two hundred. Go read it. Um, so he's now going out to the vault, which is in Colorado to deactivate it. And just as he was getting ready to do this, that's when cap had come by and he's a little preoccupied and he actually feels, he says he feels kind of slimy because he knows he's getting ready to go take out everybody in that facility, at least the technology. And he feels like a, you know, a schlep for not telling Steve, but Steve's no dummy. And then later meets, intercepts him and Rudy out at a diner. And basically says, you know, you know, don't do this. You know, I may no I may I, I may no longer be Captain America, but I'm still an America an American and the vault is necessary for protecting the public and the guardsmen are necessary for protecting the vault. I'm asking you as a friend, Tony, don't do this. And Tony says, uh, you know, he doesn't really say anything. He walks away and tells he tells Rudy we're going home, only to return a few weeks later with Ru Rudy doing a revert reverse Al Jolson. And yeah. Which I was kind of like, wow, really? But at, but at least the character pointed out himself saying, man, I hope nobody sees me dressed up like this. Because if they d did, they would be razzing me from here to Christmas as he's wiping off the electro white face from him <laughs> a after they've put him in the vault. He's, he's also got the very, very stylish flat top mm -hmm. yeah. to, to go with Tony's jerry curl. Would that yeah. be the, f it, well, no, well, it's not an afro and it's not a flat top. Would it be a flat row? No, I think that's a flat top. But you can call it flat row if you like. Flat row. Wasn't that so, Quicksilver? What? Who's Quicksilver? Flatro. That would be Pietro. Oh. Not Flatro. Flatro would be his gassy cousin. I was just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so they concoct this plan to have Rudy. They, he outfits him with a uh, suit that mimics Electro's powers because Tony, when they went back to Stark Enterprises, had looked at the. Uh, Vault schematics and saw, aha, they were designing a, a, uh, a cell for Electro. So that's where he comes up with the plan. The guardsmen easily capture the fake Electro. And once inside, Rudy can walk right out of the cell and he deactivates uh, some of the defenses and Tony gets in only to have Steve following in. in. And uh, then they use PC2, which is a gas, and it basically knocks everybody out. Uh, and they're running around. They zap all the all all the armor, except for a few guys that are still in it. 
Um, and then we get to the show. Well, and some of the Mr. Hyde and Titania are kind of biding their time in case, you know, they have a shot of them just in their cells, both talking to, to, to each other, waiting to see if something happens. And eventually it does. And you find out at the end of the episode that uh, they they do get out, which will be followed up in Cap's book um, later, which may also dovetail into something Scott's bringing to the show. Mm-hmm. But we get a lot of scenes with um, Tony, and he's taking on the guardsmen, but they really don't match up to his armor, so he's pretty much mopping up the floor with them. Um, even Rudy is able to finally take out one guardsman guy by dropping an elevator on him. Not, not to, to push it, but isn't it Rody? Rody, yeah. Rudy, Rody, Rudy. Rudy. Rudy was the kid who Rudy. wanted to play on Notre Dame. <laughs> and then Rody, he went on to help. Rudy. Then he went to, on to help Frodo get rid of the ring. <laughs> So, Rhodey, okay, I did say that right. I had to think for a second. Now, you know, thinking's not my strong point. No, like thinking. Even Mr. Hyde got a perm for the occasion. What is with this? Oh, 80s hair. <laughs> He's got the Farrah Fawcett feathered hair. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's got those gleaming white teeth. He looks like he's in, you know, like, like he's, you know, he was the Breck girl or something. And then they, you know, gave him some. He looks like Arnold with a feathered mullet. That's what he looks like. <laughs> Doesn't you he? told me to get my hair cut like this. You told me to look like Fabio. <laughs> and, and I look fabulous. Titania, look at me. I'm so pretty. <laughs> so the uh, when Tony and the captain, or Tony and Steve, meet up, and Steve ha- decides to save the, the guy that's about to die in the guardsman's armor because it's ran out of power, etc., etc., and Tony just zaps the shit out of him on his shoulder and takes him out. But I guess he wasn't he wasn't completely unconscious because as Tony reaches over to put the negator pack on the guardsman armor, Cap's laying there with his eyes open <laughs> and he's just like boring a hole right through his armor. Right. And it, you know, and there's this big long speech, you know, no words are spoken, none are needed for both men know. Uh, but both men know that a bond has been broken today, a bond as old as their friendship, as deep as their innermost thoughts and desire. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I was reading the wrong thing. Their innermost thoughts, a dear and precious link that may never be hold again. Bzz, it's done. And then uh, they walk out, and um, in the epilogue, you see um, some tech guys are walking around, and they're like, hey, all, all the power's out down here. Oh, crap, where's Titania and Mr. Hyde? Where are they? And that's how the issue ends. And it says, they're, that's easy. They're in Captain America 339, along with the conclusion of this epic saga. Uh, of this epic saga. But we're, we'll get to, well, we won't get to 339 because you, you, you jumped ahead a few issues of Captain right. America. Yep. But uh, what did you guys think? I Thanks. love this issue. Love this issue. This is one of my favorites uh, of this particular run, as a matter of fact. Well, uh, and obviously we... I was going to do, there was another one I was going to do, but I mean, did you decide to do your second book because I picked this one or were you going to use, do that other book already before I had picked this one? Well, there, it's funny you should ask that because there's a, there's a couple of things that went into the decision of, of me doing the book that I was doing. Um, first off, full confession, I was going to bring an issue and I couldn't tell you which of the five it is, but it's, it's an issue of Contest of Champions 2. This was uh, the one from the 90s, and I was going to bring the issue that was Cap versus the Black Panther. 
But in looking at that again, I remembered that I could not remember what the hell the, the overall story was. So I didn't want to take just one issue out of context. I kind of felt like I needed to read the, the whole series again to kind of get the context and know what was happening. Plus, I found it wasn't as good as I remembered it to be. The art's really not very good. It's it's 90s. And it's not like horrible 90s, but it's not real good 90s either. So I, I started hunting for something else. And a couple of different books came to mind. I almost brought the Tales of Suspense. The issue before Cap became a co-feature, Cap appeared in the Iron Man story, and they actually fought because the chameleon, there's this ridiculous plot where the chameleon basically tricks Captain America into coming in the window. Like, like, how the hell did he know Captain America would be passing the building at that particular time? But anyway, in through the bathroom window, he, he tricks Cap into coming in and then he, I don't know, he gasses him or something um, and and disguises himself as Captain America and then goes on the rampage or whatever. Anyway, draws the attention of. I am, no, I know what he does. He he go he disguises himself as Captain America. He goes to Stark Industries and he, he fakes this story about um, the chameleon when he himself is actually the chameleon. And so basically he sets Iron Man on Captain America. I forget why. God, I just read this too. And anyway, Iron Man goes and finds Cap thinking that Cap is the chameleon, but it's the real Cap. And essentially, you know, if you... You know, if you uh, excuse the the few panels of Avengers number four when they first revive Captain America, where he fights all the Avengers very briefly, except for that moment, this is really the first Cap Iron Man tussle, like the first real one. And it's a pretty good knockdown drag out between the two of them because it's a case of mistaken identity for most of the fight. And they wind up in this like foundry or something uh, fighting each other. It's a pretty good tussle. It's just... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of that, that, you know, that late silver age goofy thing, you know, where, you know, the, you, you kind of have to ignore the overall premise and just get to the fight kind of thing. So it's a pretty good one. I thought about bringing that, but I know that you had mentioned this particular book. You were thinking about this one as a backup to your original choice. And I just thought that this was a better choice than the one that you initially picked only because that you know, one of the characters that's the main two combatants in the book you were going to bring is not going to be in the Civil War movie. So I thought, well, that doesn't really I, I just didn't know if it worked. And once I remembered that you had suggested bringing this, I was like, well, wasn't there a Captain America issue that gives you the fight like from Cap's point of view? That's the way I'd always remembered mm. the book that I'm bringing to it. As it turns out, that's not what that story is, but that's the way I had always remembered it. So reading these two back to back was actually really cool because I discovered um, that one is kind of a, a continuation slash sequel of sorts uh, to the other. So, but anyway, getting back to this one proper, uh, I, I love this, and a lot of it has to do with the art. Although the story is really good too. Um, I I've often thought, you know, so many people want to hold up Demon in a Bottle as like that definitive. Um, Iron Man story. I, in a lot of ways, I think it's uh, the Armor Wars. You know, I've heard it called both myself. You know, both the Stark Wars and, and the Armor Wars, whatever you want to call it. Well, see, later they call it Armor Wars too. Although here right, they reference yeah. it as Stark Wars, so it's really yeah, it's kind of right. 
I, I think it was a take on Star Wars, you know, so they were calling it Star mm-hmm. Wars, but whatever you want to call it, I, I think this uh, this particular run is fantastic. A lot of it has to do with the armor that Tony's in during this uh, particular run. He's still in the Silver Centurion outfit, which is my personal favorite um, Iron Man armor. I just think he looks damn cool. I thought this was one of his coolest armors because it looks great. It's got one of the best power sets of all his armors because this armor could do a lot of stuff that later armors, it's like he forgot how to make it do that or something because he had like a stealth mode. and Well, wasn't this he, this the one that he would use to go intercontinental? He would go up in the atmosphere yep. and then come back down. And then like that was yeah, the first he time a, he did that. Yeah, he had a booster one. rocket that he would attach. So he'd basically ride a rocket into space and stuff like that. It was really cool. What's funny is to to talk to Bob Layton, um, this is the one he likes the least, and I think it's the one he did the best. So it's it's kind of funny that way, but uh, I, I love this particular armor. And what's cool is that this is this era, and I didn't really consciously ever think about this until I saw um, a cover of Marvel Age from right about this time period. And it's this great cover. I want to say it's by Ron Friends, but I could be wrong. But it's this great cover that shows the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, and I think that's everybody. There might be another one in there I'm forgetting, but at least those characters. And they're all standing in a row right next to each other looking at you, the reader, and none of them is in their classic outfit because at this time they were all you know, in, in like a state of flux, like Thor is in his Asgardian armor. Cause that's where he oh, was. The, with, yeah. With the Simon long form Spine. armor, like, like the bluish color. Yeah. And, uh, the Hulk is and, gray. Iron man okay. is, is this Iron man, the silver centurion cap is the captain as he is in this issue. And Spider-Man is in his black outfit. So, you know, here you have all of these icons of the Marvel universe and none of them for this one moment in time, were the iconic versions. They were all in, in, basically had un, undergone a, a costume change or, or you know something like that, a transformation. And I well, thought that was so cool because while I love Cap's outfit, of course, you know it's one of my favorite superhero outfits. I have a real soft spot for the Captain outfit. You know when it was Steve Rogers. I when he became when when they switched back and Cap became Captain America again, and um, and then Walker took over the mantle of being the Captain. That's where I stopped caring about the. Well, captain. he became U.S. Agent, didn't he? US I think he agent, changed yeah. from. For, yeah, yeah. He, he, I think he dropped the Captain name. But when Steve was the Captain. And that was a relatively short period of time. It really didn't last very long. But when Steve was the captain, I actually think he looks pretty, pretty badass. I mean, he's got a lot of a lot of what works for him with this outfit is a lot of what worked with Spider-Man with the black outfit. It just looks cool. It's got like a certain sleek quality to it. But I, I think it's really, well, cool. you know, black it, is always slimming. So. Right. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what's funny is that this survives even today. Because uh, you know, my son Logan really likes this particular outfit uh, for Cap. And uh, not too long ago, we were somewhere. Have you ever seen those iPhone cases that you can buy? Mm-hmm. And they're the the superheroes, but they're like the little cartoony, like like kid version superhero iPhone covers. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What with like the big heads? Yeah. And they got them for like Superman and Batman and all these different characters. 
I've seen them for Cap where it's both versions. It's Captain America, like traditional, red, white, and blue. And then there's the Captain one as well, the black one. And I just thought, that's pretty cool, you know, for, for such a you know long time ago and for such a relatively short period that he was that incarnation, for that to still be kind of out there in the public conscious, I thought was kind of cool. So, But, uh, but yeah, I, I really like this. Um, I thought uh, I thought the Armor Wars was a really great storyline, and this is arguably uh, the best chapter of it. So yeah, I like this. It makes me want to go back I and read the whole thing the, now uh, for the nose armor. For <laughs> the nose armor, really? <laughs> well, that was that was actually the armor when I started collecting. Okay, yeah. I mean, so, so there's always a nostalgia to it. I, yeah. I look at it and I think it's the stupidest thing ever, and yet I still have a nostalgia for it. <laughs> I mean, some of the panels in this. I mean, there's individual panels in here that are just like poster or T-shirt worthy. Page 18, that last panel where where Iron Man is flying down and uh, the guardsmen, there's two guardsmen and flying trying to hit him with beams, and then he's uh, Iron Man zapping one of them. That's just beautiful. And there was one panel, I think it was this book. Let me flip back through real quick. There was one shot. I thought it was in this one. I don't know. I was looking at a bunch of Iron Man comics today, so maybe it's not in this one. But there, there was one where uh, I had seen recently where where Leighton did a, a recreation um, commission of it. No, it's not this issue. I think it's. I think it may be the um, opening splash of the next issue. But just, I mean, the the, the uh, art is beautiful. I really like some of the experimental stuff they were doing with colored inks. Like when, when he's shooting that, I don't know if it's like a microwave beam or whatever it is that he's shooting. Because again, he, uh, this particular armor had some really different powers. But there's a couple of different beams that Iron Man is shooting where you oh, can Oh, the one see. where he hits the three guardsmen and it's like a massive beam. It's not your regular repulsor beam. It's it, it's coming out and it's got like a, another ring of energy going around it, a corkscrew, I think on page 13. 13, okay, let me flip back to that because I, I, was, I was a little bit ahead of that. Bottom left. Well, there's panel. there's that one, but if you go ahead, flip ahead a couple of pages. Look on page, um, page eighteen. He's got uh, oh, a, where he brings him together with like a magnet. Yeah, he's, but then the very next page, he's hitting the boot jets of a fleeing guardsman with this. It looks like a, like maybe like a microwave wet ray or something like that. You say, oh, it's concentrated heat. It says he says while I use a concentrated heat lance to ignite the fuel supply of his buddy's boot jet. So, yeah, I guess concentrated heat's kind of like microwaves or something, right? Mm. But it's really cool. It's it's like a beam with, like, these circles surrounding. It's just really cool looking. But you can see where that is purely the inks. That That's not, like, penciled and inked. Right. The, the ink itself is just a red ink, and it really makes it stand out, and, and it's really sharp. Well, that would, I like be, that. That's a that great would be Bob effect. Layton. Yeah. Well, I'm... Giving most of the credit of the quality art to Leighton in this. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, he he didn't do the penciling, but I'm thinking, you know, most of it. The the biggest problem I have with the art, and it's totally an unfair criticism, but the biggest problem I have with the art is based on the styles of the day, like Tony's Jerry curl look and Rhodey's flat right. top, and and Tony wearing the suspenders and stuff. I mean, it just it makes it look very dated to me. Right, which in, which is funny because I can look at books from the '60s that are incredibly dated, and that doesn't bother me so much. But in this one, it it does for some reason. And it, I, again, I'm come right out and tell you, it's an unfair criticism. But it just bothers me a little bit when I read it, and it it, it takes away from the quality of the art, which clearly does exist. Uh, 
On the other hand, there's there's a couple of things just size wise, like like Cap Shield just looks to be very inconsistent on the size. Sometimes it looks very small. Right. There's no yeah. there's no points where it looks incredibly large, but there are points where it looks ridiculously small. Right. Well, like if you look at it, because I noticed this this panel at the bottom of page twenty to where Cap's got his face down and Iron Man's reflected in the shield. The shield looks kind of kind of small. Which I mean, page granted, is that? they could uh, the bottom of page twenty. It kind of ca- caught my eye because mm-hmm. yeah, if two you look pages at the later, it, it doesn't look like it's the right size. Right, but two p- pages later, we have Cap is reflected in Iron Man's face mask. There's like a like a right. juxtaposition of the two images, whereas one's a reflection of Iron Man in his in his shield, and the other one's a reflection of Cap in in, in Tony's faceplate. I that's thought that the, was a pretty. That's the cool. panel I call "Kiss Me, You Wingheaded Freak." <laughs> I'm I'm kind of bummed out that you actually have a name for the panel. <laughs> I name all my panels. So, so we're Fred. Um, that's just a creepy scene where Caps. I guess he can't move. He's paralyzed, and he's just. Tony's Staring at him, like, him. I hate you. <laughs> you complete me. Any more notes well, on this one? Um, no, not really. I would like to know what the hell ever happened to Mark D. Bright. I thought he was a really solid penciler. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, uh vamp, vamp. I'll, maybe I'll look around. <laughs> well, it's time for you to grade. I tell you what, you grade, and I will look okay. this up. Good. Get back to the book here. Uh, the cover, eh, it's not. Eh. I like the Bob Layton art, although Iron Man, I don't know. He looks a little, he looks a little beefy. He looks a little chunky there. That's that's, that's one the of the problems armor. I had with this armor. I know Scott, you you love this armor, and, and I I think it's yeah. a very cool armor, but when not drawn right, it does look too bulky. He just looks like he like it's, ate I a couple, you know. I mean, you look at Tony Stark in in this book outside of the armor, he's pretty svelte. But on that front cover, he's pretty pudgy. But it's the armor, though, because if you look throughout the issue... It's the armor. That's what they all say, buddy. No, it is. Because if you look throughout the issue, that's consistent through the entire issue, where he he looks a little beefy around the middle. I think it's the combination of this particular Mm -hmm. armor. with It has that built-in backpack and everything, but also... The cod piece, unfortunately, looks like a set of Depends or something. So it does make him look a little a little beefier than I think he would normally look. Plus, he has those big shoulder pad things, too. So Yeah, that's, that's yeah, the I, problem I, really I have. I, I, I like the armor to look a little sleeker, right. just as a general rule, whichever armor they're drawing. I like when it looks sleek. To me, that's, that's what makes it look very, uh, just very modern. I don't know. Uh, whereas, I guess... The more bulky armor could look more imposing, but that's not what I walk away with. And so I, I like this armor. I like the the red-silver combo, just, you know, the way it looks. As For me, it's more of a change of pace from the red and gold. Mm-hmm. But, again, I, I like the more sleek look, personally. And I guess it's just a matter of personal taste. And probably also goes into what was his armor when you first started reading. Right. You know, because, you know, I have no other excuse for liking the nose armor. <laughs> yeah, so, really- they, they said that uh, the the I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but the story they came up with on that, like they said, one day Stan started saying something to the effect of, "How could he? You know, the faceplate would push up against his nose, and you know, you'd, you'd break your nose every time you put it on." So at his behest, they drew in the nose 
And then a couple of months later, he was looking. He says, "What? What is this? This looks ridiculous." So they had to get rid of the nose after that. <laughs> God damn it, so, Stan! I I think I'd give it. Um, I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a B for the cover and the interior art. Um, you know, you can see the Bob Layton t- touches in here. Uh, sometimes things look a little off, but I'm still going to give the interior art a B. And, you know, this is a pretty good storyline for the Armor Wars, so I'm going to give it a B plus. So, uh, you know, that's a B. That, a B. A B for the book. For me. Who's next? I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to give... I think I'm going to give the cover an A. I think I'm going to give it a straight up A. I was going to say A minus, but I think I'll give it a straight up A because it's almost an A plus cover for me. Um except cap there's something about cap i don't know maybe he looks almost like teen cap or something he he needs to be a, a little bit uh a little bit bulky maybe a little bit taller or something but it's it's something about the position it's something about his face he looks very very young but other than that i think this is a fantastic cover i love this one and i am so thrilled that uh this issue in my collection uh i got a chance to get it signed by Layton, and uh and i absolutely love this had a great conversation with him about um you know just his work on iron man but particularly this era because uh you know i i just gushed about how much i really like this era and and this armor uh this version of of iron man i just this is my personal favorite uh so yeah love this cover Interior art, I think it's fantastic. I, I think these guys made a, a great team of you know Mark Bright and uh, and Bob Layton. I definitely agree with Paul that it's the Layton that shines through in this. He is most definitely shoring the art up, and you can tell that because if you put this side by side with his work with say you know JRJR, you know quite you know some number of years prior to this. Um, there's not a lot of difference in it. So that's, you know, that's obviously, you know, the common denominator there is Bob Layton. So there's a lot of Layton in this, but I think that's a good thing. I think Bob Layton's a hell of an artist in his own right. I've often wondered why didn't he just do the book? Why was he always the inker when it was so obvious that, you know, so much of the, the finished published art was him anyway. Why didn't he just do everything? I've, I've often wondered that, but I don't know. I guess it's just the the way he prefers to work or whatever. And but, I, I uh, wonder I, if he. I, I have no idea about this. This is purely just throwing an idea against the wall. But I wonder if he didn't have quite the eye for layouts. Maybe, maybe that's why he wanted somebody else just to kind of do the layouts and and you know basically give him the angles to go with. And then once he had that, he could go to town on it. Right. I, I don't know, but you know, he he clearly had an eye for. You know how the final picture should look, right? And there's no nothing where he's lacking as far as his ability to just draw a picture on his own without somebody else doing the pencils. You know, because he did so much cover work on his own that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I can think is maybe his storytelling lacks a little bit. I guess that that could damn that's a as sound a theory as anything else. It makes sense. That or maybe, or maybe somehow he just didn't have the time. I don't know. Yeah, I was just gonna say maybe maybe he wasn't as fast to do everything as whereas inking was something he could do faster or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm always curious about that sort of thing though. But regardless, I, I think it's beautiful. I'm flipping back through it now, and I mean, I honestly I don't see anything in here that uh, that 
I don't like. There's there's nothing that really stands out to me going, you know, that's wonky or I don't care for this this face or whatever. I mean, I'm with you guys. Any any beefs I might have with it really come down to some of the dated elements. And I mean, there's there's nothing you can do about that. That's not something you can honestly hold against the book. So I, I really I like it. I think the art's beautiful in this. Um, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go likewise an A with the interior art. I mean, it's it's real close to a to an A plus. I think it's fantastic. I, I really really do. Um, it's some of the better. Um, some of the better artwork on either of, uh, of Layton's runs, I think. And the story, I'm going to go straight up A-plus with the story. I think uh, this is a, an era where um, David Michelinie was just firing on all cylinders. I think it's a great story. And I love, uh, I mean, this, this right here, this chapter, I mean, this overall story is fantastic, but this particular chapter really illustrates what, Michelinie was was best at which was character development and interpersonal relationships he had a handle on that like so few other comic book writers did I mean there's there's really not a lot of comic book writers out there that you could get a story out of them that had little or no fighting and it was just as great as some big bombastic fight issue and, you know, he's he's in very limited company in that aspect. I mean, I can really only think of a few off the top of my head. And Michelinie's definitely one. Um, Roger Stern, you know, would be another one where, you know, he also was, you know, had that ability to do character pieces where you might walk away from the end of the issue going, hey, that was great. And it might take you a while to realize, hey, you know what? There, there actually wasn't a bad guy in that. Nobody ever got punched in that issue. It was all character development. But I have, over the years, those are the stories that I tend to favor the best because I think those are the stories that are generally just better, you know, more fun to read and kind of stick with you a little bit more because it's not just smack em ups, you know, it's, there's, there's some real human interaction going on there. And I like that sort of thing. I mean, granted, there's a hell of a lot of action in here as well, but it's the character beats of the story that I end up liking the best, you know, the, the confrontation between, um tony and and steve in the diner i mean that's that's good stuff that's very well written and it's a very short segment of the book but you know just in that little bit there's there's a lot of character development right there and uh and i like that you know he's i think uh Michelini is just a master with that sort of thing so straight up a plus on the story so overall um i'm gonna give the book an a i think it's uh, i think this is a fantastic issue all right as has been our want of late, I'm not quite as high on it as you are, <laughs> but I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I'm going to start off with the story because I'm also going to give the story an A because I think uh, I think it's you know it is one of the stories that you're going to put in the all time Iron Man stories, mm-hmm. and and for that reason you know it, it's I, I can't imagine if you're going to do the top ten stories. For any character that's been around as long as Iron Man, if if those top ten stories aren't all A's, something's wrong. And I think this is one of the, you know this would be in the top ten stories of all time, I believe, for Iron Man. So I'm, I'm gonna come right out and say A. Uh, the cover, I'm not really crazy about the angle they chose on it. I think that's my biggest thing on it, and I think ultimately it's because they were trying to play around and connect it with the basically the cover of the issue we're gonna do next in its own way. It's kind of a, a, another take on the same theme. Uh, 
But I just there's something about it that I, I just feel like it could have been better. And I'm not sure exactly what, whether it's the backgrounds or whatever. It's really solid. I'm not ready to give it an A, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's a solid B cover, better than average, you know, and, and just you know, nice. Uh, the interior art, I can't take points away for styles of the day. What I would take a little bit away, and it's nothing to do with Leighton, this is another book where it seems like a lot of the shots are unnecessarily long shots. It's a, some of the layouts I'm just not crazy about, and again, it's nothing with Leighton because he wouldn't have done those. Uh, but, uh, you know, you pointed out some of the elements of it that are really cool, like some of the inking, inking and coloring choices that would have been all over, you know, Leighton is all over that. And even, even some of the, the finer detail work on the faces and everything is cl- uh, clearly Leighton's work. So I'm a little torn because I want to give Leighton an A on it, but I want to give Mark Bright a kind of a B minus. Right. So for that reason, I'm going to give the overall art a B plus. I'm going to kind of average it out a little bit. I'm going to say a B plus and, you know, had, had Bright done a, just a little bit better on some of the layouts, I think it would be an AA plus book. Uh, so overall, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a minus. Cool. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Ready for the next book? Why don't we move on? Cause we're running long already. All right. Real quick. I did look up, um, Mark D bright. I didn't look at like a Wikipedia or anything. I just brought up, uh, Mike's amazing world. And I thought that he was the guy that had done the uh, Emerald Dawn series, the two Emerald Dawn series for Green Lantern, but I couldn't remember exactly. I didn't want to say that and then be wrong, Um, but he did. So after leaving Iron Man, he leaves Iron Man not too many issues in the future, and then he just kind of bounced around a lot of different places. He did some solo Avengers. He did Green Lantern for Action Comics Weekly, and then he did both of the uh, Emerald Dawn series. Um... He did Icon for quite a few run, maybe the whole series, I'm not sure here, but quite a number of issues of Icon for DC. Went on to Quantum and Woody over at Valiant, and, uh, and that's pretty much it. I mean, he has a pretty consistent body of work up until the early 2000s, and then it gets really spotty. The last thing that's listed here is uh, an issue he did for DC in April of 2010, and that's about it. So, I mean, he continued to, to work, you know, all, <clears throat> pardon me, all through the 90s and everything. Um, I guess it's mostly just because he was working on things that I didn't particularly follow or, or weren't really on my radar that I just thought he disappeared. But, uh, but yeah, he uh, he was still out there. I don't know, uh, you know, what he's doing today or what he's working on. Or honestly, I don't even know if he's still alive. I would presume so, but um, it'd be something to, to check for uh, in the future. But Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our next book, because as Paul says, we are running a bit uh, behind on time. So our next book, we're jumping ahead just a little bit, just two months in uh, in the publishing date order. Uh, we are looking at Captain America number 341. This is the May 1988 cover dated issue. On sale date was January 12th, 1988, according to Mike's Amazing World. Cover price was originally 75 cents on this one. Cover on this is by Ron Friends and Al Milgram. I'm going to talk more about the cover later, uh, but essentially it is the Captain version of Captain America and the um, Scarlet Centurion, or excuse me, the Silver Centurion version of Iron Man, uh, just kind of duking it out, just you know, nose to nose here, and it just says on, right on the cover, big letters, Cap versus Iron Man. 
And on the interiors here, we uh, now we're there's actually several stories, and I think three different stories, if I'm not mistaken. We're just looking at the first story, which is just an eight pager entitled "Break In," and it's written by longtime Cap writer Mark Grunwald, the late Mark Grunwald, unfortunately, a hell of a great writer in his time. Pencils by Kieran Dwyer, who, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't this the guy that was Burns' stepson for a time? Yeah, yeah, we've talked mm-hmm. about him before. And uh, inks by Al Milgram. And that's pretty much all. I'm, I'm just going to go pencils and inks and write around this one. So, in uh, the Pacific Mansion of Millionaire Inventor uh, Anthony Stark, this is our title splash page here, and we see Tony comes walking into. Uh, to wherever this is, is his house, his apartment, his hotel room, whatever this is. And uh, he's got this babe on his arm and, you know, they're all getting all chummy and everything. And as he welcomes her back and obviously, you know, he's hoping that uh, he's going to get lucky and everything. But what he doesn't see, but we, the readers are treated to is that, you know, this room of course is dark. Tony hasn't flipped on the light switch yet. There is a figure sitting facing us, but facing away from the door that's all in shadow and everything, waiting for Tony to come. And this figure is thinking to himself, he's here, finally. And this is, of course, Steve Rogers. He's dressed as the captain, except he's not wearing his mask. He has his uh, shield sitting in his lap, and he's just sitting there looking very pensive as he's waiting for Tony to come back. So Tony flips on the light switch, takes both Tony and the girl by surprise, and Tony kind of stammers out, you know, what what's going on? And he quickly has to cover. You know, of course, this is at a time when, you know, they, the world still does not know that Tony Stark and Iron Man are the same person. You have to remember in, in comics of this era, that was not known. So he covers up by saying that this is a friend of Iron Man's and that, you know, this is kind of emergency business. And he kind of shuffles the girl off, calls a, a, uh, for one of his workers to drive her home. And then it's him and Steve are alone uh, in the room and so uh, Tony turns to him and he says I take it you've come to tell me how very disappointed you are about what happened to us uh, what happened between us at the vault last week which is I think that's interesting that you know here two months of publishing time have gone by but only a week has passed in the Marvel Universe proper so we get kind of a peek at you know how that that time scale is working in this instance anyway now what's really interesting here is that there's an editor's note and the editor's note is wrong because it says this is in reference to you know their fight at uh, at the penitentiary with the arm the armored guardsman. It says see Iron Man number two twenty nine. That's not right. It was two twenty eight. So anybody that seeks out two twenty nine or would have sought it out back in the day, hoping for the first part of this story, would have been greatly disappointed because that's the wrong issue. Anyway, the next panel is fantastic where Steve cuts right to the chase. And he says, uh, that goes without saying, he says, I actually have three other reasons. First is the return of this shield. And he slams the new shield that Tony had made for him. He throws it and hits him right in the boys, which is just awesome. You see uh, Stark going, oof. (laughs) It's just, (laughs) I, I, I love that panel. Thanks, Cap. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, the next uh, panel I really like too because it has Tony and he's holding the shield and he's looking down at his own reflection and he just has this very sad expression on his face and you know he's thinking about how this is the the new shield that he had made for him and everything and you know how much it must be tearing Steve up to be giving it back to him 
And then Steve, you know, he he's very business in this part. He just continues. He says, uh, second, he says, I came to tell you how much damage you did by incapacitating the guards. And this is where he lets him know that because of his actions, that now we have two supervillains on the loose, which I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to Mr. Hyde and Titania. And Stark doesn't really know how to take this. He says, you know, he kind of stammers and he says he's sorry. And, you know, he starts to say, if I would have known, I would have. And Tony, or excuse me, Steve just cuts him right off. Doesn't even let him speak. And he just says, third and lastly, I've come to turn you over to the authorities for your various offenses. And that this is where it gets serious. And Stark at first had this kind of, you know, smart ass kind of look on his face and just says, come on, Steve, you can't be serious. And we get a nice, tight close-up of just Steve Rogers' eyes. Just his eyes. And I really like that shot where you see, nope, you know, he is completely serious. Um, and I, I love just the, the steely blue eyes looking at, out at you from that panel. It just looks fantastic. And then it's kind of on at that point. And to cover himself... Suddenly, Tony whirls the shield back at Steve, saying, catch, and runs, snatches up his attache case and runs into the next room. All of this before Steve can deflect the shield, jump over the couch and chase him, which gives Tony time to get into his uh, Silver Centurion armor. So this this happened very quick. I think it kind of makes Cap look like a bit of a chump in this part, but I'm going to hold that thought. So now it's escalated. Now it is man versus Iron Man and Steve pulls down his mask. So now we have truly, you know, the captain versus Iron Man in this. And Cap's very adamant, I'm taking you in. And Iron Man at first is very much, you know, don't make me do this. I don't want to fight you. And uh, Steve's not having any of it. So he basically attacks Iron Man. And but without his shield, and you have to remember this version of Captain America is kind of the ultimate athlete version, but he's not really super powered. So it's not like, say, Cap of the movies, for example. And he tries his best. He's very valiant. He's very, you know, he, he has all his quick moves and all that sort of thing, but he's just kind of out of his depth, especially against this version of Iron Man. Again, this is one of the reasons I'm so enamored of this version of Iron Man. He just has a lot more powers. And he managed to manages to shock Cap loose when Cap grabs a hold of his jet boots because that's one of the features of this armor. Um, and then he uses a high-density beam, which I'm not sure what this does. I kind of imagine it's... Uh, it like increases his mass or something. But anyway, it, it takes Cap out of the fight, essentially. And Cap just has a moment where he kind of regrets, you know, that he didn't still keep the shield at least long enough through this fight. He had no intention at this point. Now that he's given the shield back of using the shield, he actually says that at one point that, you know, now that I've given it back, I'm not using the shield. But just for this one fight, it really could have helped him out. But without his shield and, and everything, he's just completely outmatched by Iron Man. And it's a bit hard for me as a, as a major Cap fan to, you know, to, to swallow my pride and accept this one point. But it is true. In the, in the very last page of this particular story, uh, Iron Man just says, he says, uh, let's face facts here. He says, there's no way you can take me in against my will. 
And at first I'm like, this is Captain America. But then I got to thinking, uh, you know, without his shield and everything, I think uh, I think Tony actually has a point. He probably couldn't. And he ends up flying away. And that's pretty much the end of the story where Cap's thinking to himself, you know, I could chase him. I could pursue him. I might even be able to, to take him in. But it's going to require me to essentially... Uh, use all of my power, all of my resources, and put all my my own stuff totally on hold to go after this, and he decides it's not worth it. That uh, he's hoping that uh, that Tony will kind of come around on his own, essentially, is kind of what it sounds like at the very end of it. And uh, and that's essentially the end of the of this particular story. Like I say, just nice short story on this one, but it's uh, I think it's a really nice follow up to what we saw. Uh, with Bill's story in uh, in Iron Man 228, you know, kind of the continuation of that situation. And you see that, you know, these guys really are friends. They don't really want to be doing this. But in this particular instance, they are just, they're on completely opposite sides. And unfortunately, there's no, uh, you know, there's no other way to go. There's no middle ground for them. They're on opposite sides. What'd you guys think? I, uh... I think we almost have the opposite situation from the other book where I thought, you know, Mark Bright was okay, but Bob Layton really made it stand out. Here, I think Kieran Dwyer is good, and Al Milgram turns him into pedestrian. Hmm. So I'm just, you know, by all accounts, Al, Al Milgram is one of, like, the nicest guys. Right. And yet I, I feel like I'm always very harsh on his artwork. And, and it bothers me a little bit because I hate being so overly critical like that or being critical of somebody that, that is universally beloved that way. But on the other hand, you know, you got to call it the way you see it. You know, it's, it's not a, a popularity contest. We're talking about the artwork. I, right. I really think this cover fails on many levels, uh, even though it's, it's in its own way a, kind of a, another play on the same thing. And it's an, another play on the cover we had for the last issue and also of Daredevil number... 43 with cap against daredevil right jack kirby cover mm. uh and and the funny thing is with on the kirby cover the proportions on cap are kind of off and yet kirby makes it work here he's got the same kind of or they they kind of did the same thing on iron man and it just doesn't look right at all to me it just no. looks bad and i think cap looks bad coming at him so I, I'm not happy about the cover at all. I think the yellow background, although it looks good on many covers, I don't think it looks good on this one. No. I, I don't think the yellow complements the red for some reason in this one. And then the lack of any other color, you know, they didn't put the blue on Cap's uniform at all. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm not really crazy about it. And then the same thing on the interior art. I think the layouts look really solid to me, but the final, the fine inking work just seems to be lacking. Well, to me... Stark looks like Howard Stark. He looks too old. Yeah. And Cap even looks aged. They just look so. I just. I mean, it's such a stark comparison. <laughs> Get it? Stark comparison. He's not as Jerry curled, at least. Yeah, he's not as Jerry curled. He's not as youthful looking. He, like I said, he looks more like this. Looks like this. This would be Howard Stark and not Tony Stark. Yeah. The story, I think, is very cool. I like the mm -hmm. story a lot. Yeah. And, and the art does tend to bring it down a little bit. And, you know, that's that's sad because it is a cool story. And, and I like sometimes when they have a definitive winner in the battles. And the fact that Stark was a definitive winner in this one doesn't necessarily mean that the next time they face it's gonna ha each other, it's going to happen again. But 
he was clearly the definitive winner when this one ended. And, I think and the really interesting part about this is when you realize, hey, this is Cap's book. Because mm-hmm. typically that's not how it goes down. I know that we've joked about this in the past, you know, when whenever there would be some, you know, whenever you would speculate about some epic tussle, like say, you know, who would win in a fight, Superman or the Hulk? And, you know, there's that longstanding joke of, well, it depends on which book it took place in, you know. If it's in the Hulk book, he's probably going to win. If it's in Superman's book, he's going to win. And I think we've all, as nerds, kind of come to accept that. But here is a clear example of of breaking that tradition where Cap gets owned by the guest star in his own book. And I think that's kind of interesting. It's it That's different. Yeah, it's, because Tony won both these fights. Yeah. And I think that's why at first when I read this and I got to that panel where Iron Man says what he says, you know, there's no way you can take me. I'm thinking... Ah, bullshit. This is Captain America. But, you know, when, I, when I'm when i really thinking about the, the entirety of the situation here, which version of Cap this is, especially with no shield. Yeah, I, I was going to say we could, says, we, could, yeah. we could nerd pick it and say, well, you know, Captain America did lay down his shield, so he reached <laughs> a disadvantage. Right. Well, that's again, like I said, you, there's nothing that says if they meet again six months later that cap isn't going to find a way to win the battle, right. but there's still a definitive winner in this battle. Right. And I like, right. it. uh, we, we, we do have, uh, issues with the size of the shield again, uh, right. in particular when, when cap throws it into Tony's nuts, when Tony's, when Tony's <laughs> holding it afterwards, it's like the, uh, you know, it's like he's holding something the size of a plate. It's not, you know, or, or a small platter. It's definitely not big enough to use as a shield, especially like, if like somebody was shooting at you or something. He's right. like, is, is that my left nut on there? What is that? Oh, my God. <laughs> but this was going back to what we were discussing before about these two books, that this is the opposite of what Civil War is would be in, in the comics years later, to where here Tony's on. Tony's a vigilante. Tony's the one that's not going with with, with what the government wants. He's, he's out for him to get his technology back. He feels he's right, and Cap's on the other side saying, you know, you, you are putting people in danger. You are doing things that are wrong. You shouldn't be doing it the way you are. So, I mean, it's, it's a nice, you know, we'll, and we'll see how this plays out in the movie, what, what steps they take, how they, uh, which way they go there. Maybe we'll get a role reversal in that. Who knows? Yeah. Well, we won't know for, well, if, when you're listening to this, you might know already, mm. but we don't know yet. And we're going no to have to see, but you know, I mean, it, this also this this is one of three stories in this book that you mentioned before, Scott. So I didn't count how many pages this is, but it's a short story, and yet yeah. it's it's fairly dense for such a short story. It's eight yeah. pages, eight pages, yeah. yeah. And I, I like that. I, I prefer the I prefer the denser stories as long as they have the character development, and which this one is loaded with character development. So you know, it's it's just when they totally bypass stuff, and, and it's. Uh, you know, things move along way too quickly that, that it's a disappointment. Right. But I still always prefer that over the case, you know, the case where you go through five issues to get through, you know, t- 10 minutes of comic book time. Right. There are there are two eight page stories and one seven page story in this book. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed by what they did here in eight pages. From a historical perspective, um, it's interesting to note that this is also the issue where uh I don't know. I can't remember now the character's 
um, civilian name because this is this is from an uh, an era of Cap I'm not uh, extremely familiar with, but this is where the John Wa- John Walker is Captain America at the moment, Captain America proper. So the second story in here is a Captain America story with John Walker as uh, Captain America. And he walks into the room and his new partner, who is a black man, uh, has now assumed the mantle of Bucky. But this is the story where he undergoes a name change and becomes Battlestar. And I always kind of wondered how this was done in continuity because I know the story behind the scenes. And so I did read this just to, to learn more about it. And we see in flashback where Bucky is talking to this other black man, and I don't know who this guy is. And that guy just chides him and he says, uh, what kind of name is Bucky? And Bucky says, he says, that's the name of Cap's original partner. And the guy says, yeah, I know, there's a young white guy, he died in the 40s. And, you know, he said, basically says, yeah, that's fine and everything. He goes, but essentially says, are you aware that uh, in some parts of this country that Buck uh, and it says here is an offensive term for a black man, which is a very, um, that's a very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just a very nice way of putting that. Essentially, uh, as I've heard the story, Mark Grunewald uh, took some real uh, shit for this because essentially uh, some people, some writers called him out on it. I guess there was a, a bit of a, of a storm you know, behind the scenes about this. And he uh, he felt really bad about it because he had to own up to the fact that he had no idea and certainly didn't you know intend to you know intentionally uh, you know be racist or or offend anybody and so he felt really bad about that and as quickly as possible um, did change up the character's name but I like this the way it's written because this is kind of you know without coming right out and saying it. This is him kind of saying, whoops, my bad. And I like that. And I I like that he didn't just gloss it over. He acknowledged it and then he fixed it. And I think that's cool. I, I, you know, I think that's really, uh, you know, you know, good on him. I think that's really, you know, classy of him to have done it, you know, this way that, you know, he kind of owned up to uh, what he does. I was going to say his mistake. But again, I mean, if you don't know you're making a mistake, is it really a mistake? You know, but he owned up to it and, uh, and changed it up, but I thought that was cool. But anyway, that happens in this particular issue, which I thought was was pretty interesting. And then the last part, you know, the last story, I don't know what the hell is going on there. Something with the Serpent Society, I didn't read that one. But anyway, back to, you know, the story proper, the first story in here. Did you guys have anything else on that? Yeah, that's about all I got. All right, are we ready for grades then? Well, didn't you have a... Uh... Did you say you had a where this I, finally plays I, out? I, I do, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll mention that shortly. I, I want to just cover this uh, okay. uh, in its entirety. Um, so anyway, cover, it pains me greatly to say this because I love Ron Friends. Ron Friends is one of my absolute favorite comic book artists, um, probably in my top ten, i got to be honest. But this cover, I don't know who's to blame here. I've often thought, that maybe this is an homage cover or something, and maybe that would account for the. Well, it, it definitely is an homage cover. Is it? Is, is yeah, it? It's the uh, Daredevil number forty-three or forty-four. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go back and look at that and see how close it's mirroring that because well, maybe while you're talking, I'll, I'll pull that up for you. Okay, because maybe it's mirroring it too close. But anyway, 
the proportions are just screwed up. Um, Cap looks like he's having an allergic reaction or something because he's still <laughs> got like the normal size cap head, but then he's got like a Hulk body. And then Iron Man is just, what the hell is going on here? It's like he's morphing into Red Ronin or something. I don't, I, he's just, the proportions are what's wrong with this cover. And it pains me to not like this cover because I love, I mean, I freaking love Ron Friends, but this cover is just, it just doesn't work on so many levels. And yeah, I'm with Paul. The piss yellow background is not helping. So yeah, this, this cover is not, it's not attractive. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact of what is happening here, Cap versus Iron Man, I, I can't see where anybody'd want to pick this up off the stands. It's just not an appealing cover at all. So I'm going to give the cover... God, I hate to do this with the Ron Friends, but I think I'm going to give the cover a D. It's bad. Um, that said, um, I'm going to have to disagree with Paul. I really like the interiors on this. Uh, here's the funny thing. I have kind of this weird relationship. I won't say I love-hate because that, that's too strong. But I have a strange relationship with Al Milgram because he's one of those guys. He either works for me or he doesn't work for me. And I never know what I'm going to get with this guy because there's certain issues of Spider-Man that he did um, from when I was first discovering Spider-Man as a kid that I, I absolutely cherish and I think they're beautiful. And then there's other things that he's done where I look at it and I'm like, oh, I can't stand this. So it's weird. I never know what Al Milgram is going to show up to the party. But the one that showed up to this one, for the most part, there's a couple of things that I don't like. For example... Um, See, is the second page? Yeah, second page of the story, that very last panel with the girl being locked out of the room. I don't like that. That looks 90s to me, like bad 90s to me. But just about everything else in this, I really like. I especially like the fact, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I think Tony Stark looks like, um, what's his name? James Bond, um, Timothy Dalton. I think he looks a lot like Timothy Dalton. Again, I don't know if that's intentional or not. And I kind of like them looking aged because I don't like it where these guys are perpetually looking like, you know, like the like late 20 somethings or whatever. I, I like here that, you know, they they've been around. They're veteran Avengers at this point. And I like the fact that they they're kind of showing their years a little bit here, you know, a. Cap's got crow's feet around his eyes, and, and Tony does look like an older man. I mean, originally, that's kind of what he was. And I mean, again, right now I'm reading a lot of early Marvel stuff. There's an awful lot of times where guys like Tony Stark or Hawkeye were saying things like, I'm getting too old for this shit. They were Danny Glovering it all the time. <laughs> and so when they keep, you know, setting these guys back to being, you know, really young guys, that kind of gets on my nerves. So I like this fact that, yeah, they, they look like they've got some some hard miles on them in this particular uh, story. I, I actually kind of dig that. And uh, dare I say that Iron Man, in some instances, actually looks a bit better in this issue than he did in the last one, only in the sense of the bulky thing is gone. You look, and again, the damn pages aren't numbered, but you look in the, the third panel of the page where Cap uh, is thrown into the couch. He's hitting the couch. He's going, whoa, that almost threw me through the wall. That third panel of Iron Man flying over his head, there's your svelte Iron Man right there, Paul. He looks good right there. I, I think that's really cool. So I, I really like the way uh, they handled 
um, you know, this very usually very bulky uh, version of Iron Man's armor looks pretty damn good in this one, and and Cap looks good too. Um, some of the coloring could be a bit better, and I I will agree the the inks could be a bit um, a bit tighter, maybe even a bit heavier. But overall, I really like it. I I think most of my problems with the art are ac- actually the coloring more than anything else. It it and, is overloaded with yellow. Yeah, it, it's very bright, and I think it should be a bit more subdued. Um, and yeah, you know, now that you guys pointed it out, I can't help but notice that you were right. Um, Cap's shield goes from being uh, basically a dinner plate to you know a discus to a frisbee. You know, and it's it's all over the place in the size. So yeah, um, but overall, interior are I think I'm gonna go. Uh, gosh, it's tough. I think I'm gonna go. Oh, Honestly, I think I'm going to go an A minus on it. I I dig it. I really do. Um, I think it's really solid. I, I think this is actually some of the better um, Algram, uh, excuse me, Al Milgram ink stuff I've seen in quite a quite a little while. So I, I'm 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 actually uh, quite enamored with it. So, and then the story. Uh, this is a top notch story. I, of course, I always liked Grunewald stuff. Anyway, I was always a Grunewald mark, um, but I really like this story. Um, I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I think we're gonna go A plus on the story because I really don't find any faults with it. I, I like it quite a bit. Um, this is an era of Cap I'm not overly familiar with because this is a little bit further along than when when I was reading Cap regularly. This is when I I, I kind of fell back into I would cherry pick issues. You know, I'd get the occasional ones, and I know I've read this before, but it's it, it had fallen into that that type of memory where you know it, it just wasn't accurate anymore and i had always misremembered this issue as giving us the fight from the issue that bill just covered from cap's perspective that's why i always thought this issue was or that's the way i remembered it and of course that you know we're seeing here that's not the case at all it's kind of a sequel to that fight or an addendum to that fight so anyway but yeah that's my grades i, I think overall on this uh you know that cover drags it down significantly, but uh, I think overall I'd still go. Uh, um, gosh, I hate to even say B because that that makes it seem like I think it's you know it's an impure, inferior thing, but it's that cover. That cover really does drag it, and it is a short little story. I guess B's fair. I'll say a B. Okay. Um, I actually hate this cover. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say flat out, I'm gonna say flat out F on the cover. And I, I think you know. I think you were willing to give it a little bit of a more of a pass based on the fact that it's an homage. And I did put into our window the cover that it's an homage of, which is oh, Daredevil okay. number forty-three. Uh, but the fact that it's an homage to me makes me even a little less tolerant of the weaknesses in it because you're given source material, you know. And now all your job is to do is to execute it. You don't even have to show the imagination of coming up with your own cover. Yeah. See, I'm looking at it now, and it, you're right. The original is wonky, but not this wonky. It's wonky, it, but somehow Kirby's a, art makes it work. Yeah. I still like the original. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And uh, I, like I said, you know, you, you, you didn't, they didn't even have to have imagination. All they had to do was execute it, and I think it looks terrible. And I don't know whether I the blame on friends or if i put the blame on milgram or i don't know who colored this cover but i think all three probably should share in it and i'm giving the cover an f i think this is just a bad cover yeah 
the story, I, I eight pages, and there's there's so much in here, and it's so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's an A. There's no more question. in that eight pages than some modern miniseries. Yeah. Uh, the interior art, again, I think I think we have very solid pencils by Dwyer, and I was gonna put all the blame on Milgram. But I think you're right. I think I wasn't looking closely enough, and I, I think some of it is the coloring. You know, like I said, it's everybody's bathed in yellow in this thing, and I just I, I think that does take away from it. And and maybe it's not quite as much the inking as as that that was giving me a negative impression. Because as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking it's a little bit better executed than what I was thinking. I don't like some of the fine work on it, but overall, it's it's pretty good. Uh, I don't like the. Uh, the fact that the shield is inconsistent, that just kind of bugs me. Uh, so art-wise, I'm, I'm going to just bypass the coloring and just try and rate the pencils and inks. And with if I'm if I'm leaving the coloring out, I think it's a solid B, maybe even a B plus. So with an F cover, a B plus interior art, and an A story, I got to give it a C plus B minus overall. Fair enough. The cover, the cover really does drag it down a lot. Yeah, it does. Because without the cover, we're talking A minus B plus. Oh, I, you know, I just thought of something. I'm sorry, I'm cutting into Bill's time. But one thing I did wanted to point out because I, I wondered what you guys thought of this. Um, this is not included with the when they have printed the the Armor Wars story, like as a trade or a collection. They don't throw this in. What do you think about that? I think they should, shouldn't they? Yeah, I think oh, that's it does references stuff in there. I think it should have been in there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I found that really odd when I looked this up to, and found that it had never been reprinted. I thought that was really strange. Hmm. Well, grade-wise, for me, um, I think if the cover didn't have the yellow in it, maybe because there's no you, – you don't differentiate between the skyline of the city outside the window and the, and the ceiling, the wall, nothing. I, I – that might have brought it up to a D, a D plus, but I have to give it an F because I just don't, I don't, everything is just off. I mean, I, it looks like one of Tony Stark's legs, like his knees about ready to give out that back knee. <laughs> it's like, so it's all shriveled up and it's just, everything's just off. Cap's head looks, he's got a little tiny head and a big massive body. Help That's, me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he looks like the guy in Beetlejuice. You know, he looks like Beetlejuice when he had his head shrunk. You know. Hey, come on! What's going on? Got it. Hey, come on! Hey, Tony, come on! Come on! It's gonna fight. Yeah, yeah. Let's hey, go. Come on! Seven, 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 seven. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah, look for me. So yeah, F on the cover. The the interior. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. I'll. Maybe it's just because of the issue we just read. Different art style. Different artist. You know, different take on, on the characters, making them look so much younger and different, even with their hairstyles, that maybe that's why it was just so off-putting. So just taking it for its own with the interior art. Um, and I I like the battle because it's swift. There's a lot of motion lines. You, um, it, it's uh, I'll I'll give it a B plus for the interior art. And then in the, in the story, yeah, I mean, I, I know it sounds like I'm just parroting what 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 you guys are saying, but it's so much story in such little space, but it works. You know, there's a lot that happens in these eight pages. And uh, so for that, I'm going to give it an A. So uh, an A and a B comes out to a B mixed in with an F. 
eh, probably like a C, a C C story. But you know what? If you throw the cover out, it's a it's a B plus all around. Amen. So so all right. So spill the beans. So where does this get resolved? So yeah. So I read this and uh, and really got to thinking about the fact of I could not remember when or if cap and uh and iron man ever had a reconciliation i mean obviously years down the road they would be teammates again in the avengers and they you know they would operate together and all of that but i just could not remember ever having read where they ever followed up on this because this story kind of ends with with the promise that look we're, we're gonna we'll work this out you know but you gotta give me my space and don't come after me kind of thing and all that and so it, it, it's kind of, you know, this weird gentleman's agreement kind of thing at the end of it. But it, it really did get me to thinking about, well, where did this all get resolved? <laughs> so I did my research and essentially I used Mike's Amazing World and just kept flipping past, you know, month by month, uh, looking at covers and everything of, of everything Marvel, trying to see where did these guys next meet each other or see each other where they would have had, you know, a significant interaction and I mean, again, I'm just looking at cover images here, but going along through it, really, with the exception of uh, them both sharing the book in um, Avengers Annual number 18, which was part of Atlantis Attacks, I couldn't find anything significant that had the, you know, the two of them in the book where they would have had any real interaction with each other for 60 issues. So in mm. Cap... 401, which is, let me see, this book here, Cap 341, was January 12th, 1988, and Cap 401 is April 7th, 1992. That's over four years later, 60 issues later, we finally get a resolution to this of sorts. So what was really cool, and I'm just going to cover just kind of the relevant portions of this, because there's all kinds of story going on in this particular issue. Now, again, this is not an issue, or excuse me, an era of Cap I'm terribly familiar with at this point, um, but I was just looking this over, and uh, let me see, for one thing, who is the art team on this? So it's still Grunewald, still the writer on this. Penciler is uh, Richard Levins. And then inks by Danny Bolinati. So it's got a pretty good art pedigree on it. The, the art's not bad. It actually looks a hell of a lot like Paul Ryan to me. I was kind of surprised to see that it's not. But anyway, uh, Steve Rogers and Clint Barton, uh, Hawkeye, wind up in this bar. And they're shooting pool. And they're, they're basically, they're just shooting the shit. And they're talking and everything. And at one point, Steve looks over from the bar. And he notices that Tony Stark is in the uh, has come to the bar and Tony says uh, Peggy told me you guys were here do you mind if I join you assuming this is uh, Peggy Carter and he comes over and Hawkeye kind of wanders off and leaves the two of them there to talk and they really do kind of hash out everything that's happened in all this time plus I'm just noticing all of the celebrity cameos in the bar scene behind them. I didn't notice this the first time around. You got like Albert Einstein and <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. This is really funny. I didn't notice this the first time around. And it also does mention a lot of events that have happened in this intervening uh, four years like the, um, oh God, what was that cosmic thing called? The, um, the, the, the cosmic war there. Shit, I can't think of the name of it. 
Infinity War? No, no. the the other one, the um ah shit, I can't think of. But anyway, that that whole thing where they went off to fight in space and it was the it Operation was the, Galactic Storm? Galactic Storm, that was it. Thank you. Yeah, and the, and you know, things Well, they that, were at odds then. They had they were on yeah. two different sides of what they wanted to do. Right. So they they hashed the whole thing out, and, and essentially, you know, long story short, I didn't synopsize this or anything, and I, I don't want to read the whole thing because I, I think it's definitely worth, um, you know, seeking the whole thing out. But uh, I like in this one part where they're just, you know, it's just two guys, you know, two two guys that used to be friends are sitting in this bar and, and talking to each other, and I, I just think again, you know, just a beautiful uh, example of how you can tell a really compelling comic book story with with you know, just two guys talking or two characters talking. And I really like where, where Tony kind of get comes down off his high horse and he just talks to Steve and he says, look, he says, I'm not the crying kind. Steve he says, I didn't cry at my own father's funeral. But right then and there, I realized in this crazy business we're in, uh, there's no one I like. I, there's no one I'd miss more than you. And he says, and I, well, he says, you're an inspiration to me, Steve, to a lot of us. You may not think uh, I, we may not think like you or act like you, but we still respect you and appreciate what you do and the way you do it. You're an idealist in a world that is far from ideal. I don't know how you can do it, Steve, how you can keep all the ugliness from getting to you, hardening you. He says, I can't. I'm not as perfect as you. And then there's this really, really great panel where he just has this pleading look on his face and he says, forgive me. And uh, you turn the page and you've got Steve and he says, Tony, he says, I'm not perfect either. He says, I'm sometimes too quick to judge, too slow to forgive. And I think that that's that's pretty cool. And that's very insightful that Captain America acknowledges that, you know, for for all of his stature and the speeches he gives and everything else, that he, too, is just a human being with flaws and foibles. And I kind of like that. And he says, I appreciate how much courage it took to come here in a bar of all places. And that's a brilliant observation. And there's actually a, an editor's note that says Tony Stark is a recovering alcoholic for those that I guess needed that pointed out. But, yeah, that's a good point that, you know, that he came here, you know, to this bar to, to try to mend these fences. And uh, Steve continues, he says, and to level with me like you did. And essentially... Um, and this isn't the end of the issue. It's just the end of this particular chapter of the story. He puts his hand out to Tony and just says, I'd like us to let bygones be bygones. And, and Tony shakes his hand and says, so would I. And then he leaves the bar. So eventually they did, you know, shake hands and, and try to put the whole thing behind them. And there's a bit more story and everything. And I, I thought it was really cool at the very end of the story. And I'm not sure what this is all about, but at the very end of the story, you've got Steve still in his civvy, still wearing a bomber jacket, and he's shaking hands with, uh, I'm not sure if he's calling himself the USA agent at this point, but he's shaking hands with him and says, uh, thanks, I owe you, pal, and I don't know what he owes him for. And uh, and the USA agent's kind of taken aback by it. And then uh, Rogers is thinking to himself, and he says, uh, maybe, he says, in the words of Lennon and McCartney, I'll get along with a little help from my friends. And I thought Captain America's quoting the Beatles. How freaking awesome <laughs> is that? That is just so cool. So I, I didn't, I'll profess, I didn't read this whole story because I didn't really care about the other stuff that was going on. And, and frankly, it would be lost on me because I'm not up on what was happening in Cap at this time. But this portion of it 
where it was the bar stuff with, with him and Hawkeye talking first and then eventually, you know, Hawkeye moving aside to allow him and, and Tony to have their moment. This is this is great stuff. This is really fantastic. Um, but I'm just I'm really happy I was actually able to to answer this question because I was afraid this was going to be one of those things where I wouldn't ever be able to find it and it was just going to make me nuts or maybe it had never happened and eventually they got you know chummy again you know in the pages of like Avengers or something and somebody just forgot to resolve it because that happens sometimes you know but no there actually was a resolution and I think that's pretty cool so yeah there you go. <laughs> Thank you for giving us that extra. There was that was the extra bonus synopsis. There you go. So just for the record, I did have a third superhero <laughs> throwdown to go through that was related to Civil War, but not related to the two books that we did today. So what I'm going to do at this point, having run quite a long time here, is I'm going to save that for next time. And I'll even give you the heads up on what I was going to do. So if anybody wants to kind of read it beforehand... It's Thor number three from 2007, which has a little bit of a throwdown between Iron Man and Thor, which is directly related to the Civil War. So, or as, you go find that, guys. As I like to call it, how many licks does it take to get to the center of an Iron Man suit? <laughs> you the know, the world may never know. Originally, I was going to give you a little bit of grief about that and and point out the fact that you know Thor's not going to be in this movie, but Having reread that now, because I hadn't read it since it was brand new, I actually think it's cool that you're bringing that one because I'm hoping that's a scene we will get down the road after Civil War, depending on how the Civil War, the movie shakes out, because I like that issue. Yeah, I well, let's, like that Thor coming to basically put the smack down on Tony. I think that's great. That's basically why I picked it. So we Nice. Will, uh, we will see. Whether they do it in the uh, in the real thing or not at any point. That's but, provided uh, Thor walks away from his movie now that I think about it. Ragnarok's rather an ominous title, so you never know. This is true. Did you hear Natalie Portman's not coming back? Uh, that's, I, I don't think that's that much Darn. of a loss, honestly. <laughs> I, I don't think, in that last movie, I didn't really think she brought much to it. Well, she didn't, but it's going to be, isn't it kind of going to be kind of awkward if the, the next one starts up and it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we broke up. You know, yeah, it's he's with Sif now. Hmm? I said he's with Sif now. Yeah, I don't think she's going to be in it either, though. She's got a TV series now. Yeah, this, this, is, this is the big time. This is motion pictures. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week.
My upper groin hurts. I, it's when, you know. About where the appendix would be, but I know it's not that. Guess what's going at the end of this episode? <laughs> My upper groin hurts. Yep. <laughs>